0: Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is a director, a filmmaker, a playwright, and an award-winning audiobook narrator. Leon Nixon, thanks for joining me in the Speakeasy tonight. <laughs> my pleasure, Rich. I'm so glad you could make it in. Uh, I I remember thinking when I saw you moderate a panel at APAC uh, a year and a half ago, it was the, I think it was the first virtual APAC, and I thought, oh my gosh, it was just masterful moderating of a group of people and also looking at any questions from the audience. And I thought, Oh, I got to have him in the speakeasy. And it's been a year and a half. And finally I've gotten around <laughs> to, uh, to that spot on my list. And, uh, I'm really glad that we could find a time that would work for you.
1: I'm, listen, I'm happy to do you're, you're flattering me and I appreciate it. And I'm
0: happy to do it. I'm happy No, it was, to do it. it was great. Uh, it was, it was great seeing you then. So, um, so yeah, thanks for coming in. Well, you are in a speakeasy Leon. So what are you drinking tonight? Oh, I have an Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey. I have not bought Uncle Nearest yet. I first uh, learned about it, I think it was uh, probably about a year ago. And I thought, I got to try that. It's got a lot of really good reviews online. If I remember, it is the uh, it's a distillery that is owned by uh, by a black man. And it, I think it's like the the longest... They've been at the distillery that's been in the business the longest owned by a black American. Is, is that correct? Nearest Green,
1: Nathan Nearest Green, called Uncle Nearest, is the first African-American master distiller. Ah, And uh, in Tennessee, um, taught Jack Daniel how to distill whiskey. So Jack Daniel is the big worldwide name. Um, But his unique method, uh, as I understand it, is taken way back from his African roots. Nearest Green was a former slave, emancipated and continued to work in the distillery Um, and just used that recipe to create a
0: phenomenal whiskey that is today my favorite. That's fantastic. So, so I'm more convinced than ever that that is going to be the next, uh, the next new whiskey that I try. I know that they had it at Total Wine here in Tucson for a while. I don't know if they still carry it, but I will definitely put that on the list um, All right. and, and do it. So how do you like it? Neat? Rocks? Something uh, else? Rocks?
1: like I, On the rocks, just a tiny bit of water, just to open it up mm. in the beginning, but mm. on the rocks.
0: Nice. Yeah, I will definitely give that a try. Whenever I try something new, I I'll, whether it's a liqueur, or a liquor, whatever it is, I always taste it um, neat first, just so I kind of know what I'm getting into. And then sometimes uh, it it makes a lot of sense after that first taste. Nope, definitely needs to be colder. Definitely needs a little bit of a uh, little bit of dilution. Um, maybe it would be helped out by some bitters. But uh, but I always try it neat first. So I I look forward to trying that.
1: I hope you do. You're just a mixologist, aren't you? Just uh just an amateur
0: mixologist, <laughs> but I do enjoy it. <laughs> you
1: threw the bitters out there. You just you're just all into it.
0: Yeah, I, I try when whenever somebody is is asking for a recipe, I try not to uh go too crazy with the bitters because on my bar, I think I have about 20 bottles of bitters right now. And I know that most home bartenders don't have more than one or two different varieties so i if i'm if i'm uh, giving something to somebody else i always try to keep it uh pretty basic when it comes to bitters but yeah i like to have those extra little things in there you have your favorite recipes um i have a few yeah um martini is one of my favorites and i'm i'm kind of uh not exactly old school but you know the 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 quote unquote classic martini recipe has changed over the years and people don't really realize that oh it has to be super dry well you know that's not really the way the drink was started um so it kind of depends on what you like i'm i'm kind of a 4 to 1 kind of guy with typically with olives but every once in a while with a twist two um, olives for me yeah, 2 2 is good. I usually go with 3, get one after the first sip, one after the last sip, and one somewhere in the middle. But uh but yeah, sometimes I go with 2. Uh my favorite gin sour is a jasmine. I found that on accident one time and oh. uh I just love that one. It's 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 a grapefruit tasting cocktail with no grapefruit in it. So, when I had somebody visiting recently, I said, "Now, you're on a statin, right?" And he said, "Yeah." And I said, "So you can't drink grapefruit." He said, "Yeah." I said, but do you like grapefruit? He said, yeah. So I made him a jasmine. And he thought it was fantastic. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's, a, it's a good way to get some grapefruit flavor without actually having to eat grapefruit. So you gotta um, love it. Yeah. So gin sours are kind of my favorite, and uh, when it comes to whiskey, right now it's bourbon. Uh, I I really kind of vary, and sometimes I'll I'll be in a Scotch kind of mood for a month and. Sometimes the Irish is the best, and uh, for a long time I was more a fan of rye than anything else, just because it's a little more distinctive. Yeah. But uh, but these days it's bourbon. I'm I've actually uh, been drinking more bourbon than other kinds of whiskeys.
1: So are you mixing up uh, old fashions and all that?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, wow, I, nice. I make a pretty simple old fashioned. I know that there are well, there's millions of different variations on the old fashioned, but um, there there are two or three, maybe four, really popular variations that that are um, geographic, and so it, it varies from east coast, west coast, Midwest. Um, mine are pretty simple, uh, just basically a sugar cube, couple of couple of dashes of of Angostura bitters, and maybe a dash or two of orange bitters. A uh, little bit of water, mix that up real good. Throw in the whiskey, put in put in a big ice cube, and uh, and that's pretty much it. I don't go with the muddling the fruit thing, but uh, but yeah, I I, I like a, a pretty basic old fashioned. You
1: know what. You know, I'm hearing the rich, the mixologist podcast coming up here. <laughs> that's
0: what I Believe hear. Me, if, I don't if know. I, I could be wrong, but no, if, I if, if I were to branch out in podcasts, that's probably the direction I would go. <laughs> I can tell that's your passion. Good. Ear, On some yeah. level, drinking is your passion. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun making up drinks. I used to have a menu that, uh, that I would just keep in the house. And if anybody came over, I'd say, oh, pick one of these. And, uh, and that was always kind of fun. So All right, tonight I'm, I'm having something uh, that I've, I've seen for a couple of years and I've never bothered with because I didn't have one of the ingredients, which is grenadine. And at one Ooh. point I looked at buying some grenadine and I found out commercial grenadine roses is just sugar syrup with artificial flavor. There's really nothing there. And so then I looked into making my own. So yesterday I actually made up my own batch of grenadine from pomegranate juice. And then I thought, well, now that I've got this batch of grenadine, I got to make some drinks and I don't want to just leave it at the tequila sunrise, which is the one that everybody knows. So, uh, so I looked up drinks with grenadine and found the pink lady, which is one that I've been meaning to make for a long time, but because of the grenadine and because I don't normally make drinks with egg whites, just because it's a pain in the butt. Um, I, I thought, well. I got some eggs, now I got the grenadine and so I made a, a pink lady and I got to say I'm I'm a big fan at this point. Nice. Uh it might it might make the egg white thing worth the effort. <laughs> <laughs> so uh it's it's uh London dry gin, little applejack, uh lemon juice, a little bit of grenadine and an egg white. And you get it all frothy, then you add some ice and you shake it again and uh it comes out nice and it's it's got that real silky texture that you get from the egg whites. Mm-hmm. So uh so yeah, it's uh it's I'm I'm a fan at this point. Uh don't always have apple brandy on hand, but I did this time. So uh so ended up being a good choice. Well, congratulations. It sounds delicious. All right, and I look forward to trying uh trying Uncle Nearest. So Leon, thanks so much for coming in. Cheers. Cheers. All right, well, uh so if, if I remember correctly, Leon, you are in Los Angeles. I am in Los Angeles. What what part of LA are you in? uh how well do you know la i grew up in
1: la i grew up in whittier i am in the fairfax district in la
0: so you're so that's not all that far from downtown is it
1: i am if i had to measure it i'm probably seven eight nine miles from
0: downtown la oh that's a little bit farther than i thought so that that's kind of the area that i'm not and you're a little west of la right
1: uh i mean west of downtown la yeah right okay so i'm a little west of downtown la i'm about a dozen or so miles from santa monica beach so if you want to you know triangulate oh, okay. <laughs> all right yeah 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 all <laughs> right know, you can find me but yeah the fairfax district fairfax district is a place where every time i tell someone that, I'm like oh yeah i know someone who lived there and, da, 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 da. and you yeah. know actors that come to la that you know want to find a place to live they end up living in the fairfax district you know, for some strange yeah. reason so yeah
0: not, not an area I'm real familiar with. Um, I, I know a little bit more about a little bit farther east since I grew up in Whittier, but, um, but yeah, that's cool. Is that where you grew up in LA or, uh, did you end up moving there? No,
1: I end up moving here. I, I've been here, you know, a couple of decades, but, um, I end up, I grew up in South LA. The Crenshaw district is where I grew up. So oh, okay. I've been in LA all my life, so. Oh, okay. But I grew up in the Crenshaw District. Right now, it's the area where they're building the Crenshaw line. Uh, if you're familiar with Metro in the LA area, we're trying to build I'm, up I'm, our public transportation out here.
0: That's good. I, I am not that familiar with it because it was it was under construction, and there were no parts that were operating yet when I left LA. Um, I think, in fact, I'm not even sure how much construction had been done at that point. This would have been back in, um, in the late 80s um oh man you know what you wouldn't if you wouldn't recognize
1: it right now no i know i've been back to
0: la a couple of times and i'm just i'm shocked every time i go so i went to college at occidental college which is in eagle rock yeah and and back then um i graduated back and and um it was uh eagle rock was kind of a dump and eagle rock is so gentrified at this point it's like a different place i go Mm -hmm. back to reunions and i think oh my gosh, this is not the Eagle Rock that I knew, not at all. Uh, And I know there are a lot of places, you know, it's a cycle everywhere. And uh, there are a lot of places like that. Uh, But I drive through various areas in LA. And I just think, wow, yeah, I don't recognize this at all. Man, my old neighborhood is like that. I was there um, about two weeks ago, I think.
1: And I went to a couple of the old haunts that I would go to when I grew up over there, you know, Johnny's Pastrami and places like that, if you want to think about locations in LA, iconic mm-hmm. places in LA. And you know, a lot of the areas, a lot of the businesses in the area where I grew up, they're gone and it's completely gentrified now, completely gentrified. You know, I was in one location and I'm listening to people talking, and obviously they're younger than I am. And it's like they discovered this little, oh, my gosh, this is so great. We just discovered this nice little area of L.A. I'm like, really? (laughs) (laughs) We discovered this nice little area of L.A.? Um, It's completely different now, Rich. It's nothing like when I grew up. I mean, and with the train coming through there now, um, you know, the developers are buying up all the property and the old owners are selling. And it's just it's completely different now.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, to to show you how long ago it was that I was living down in that area. Uh, my dad was a right-of-way agent for the state of California, and uh-huh. back then it wasn't the metro. He actually worked on right-of-way for the Century Freeway, the oh, wow. one, 105 if I remember correctly. It is the 105. Yeah, and um he worked on right-of-way for that. That was like the freeway project in LA that was like a 25-year project before they ever got the uh the freeway running. Yeah. And uh, and now, of course, you know, I'm sure that developers buying stuff up and the state having to go in and deal with right-of-way issues for the Metro is a, is a big deal at this point. I'll bet. Yeah. I'll bet.
1: I remember when they built the 105, I was working South LA at the time when that was going up and it was quite the mess. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> it was quite the mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So imagining of- having the right-of-way discussions, it's just got to be a nightmare with contracts and negotiations yep. and probably eminent domain issues it's Huge just, it had to eminent be domain.
0: that was when i learned that term was eminent domain and yeah. i thought oh well the state has well but wait a minute it, it leads to a lot of interesting discussions depending on which side you're on
1: <laughs> yeah you know uh, where i grew up the santa monica freeway was coming was being installed i guess being built or extended when i was in elementary school to kind of give you a sense of my age if you don't mm-hmm. you care or not um but I have a friend, I had a friend in elementary school who I remember coming to school and saying, you know, me and, me and my family have to move because eminent domain. And we were like nine, you know, and he's coming to school telling us that the city, you know, state, whoever are taking their houses, mm-hmm. obviously compensating them for them, compensating yeah. them uh, for it. And um, eminent domain, they've taken their house and they did and built the freeway right through there.
0: Yep. Yeah, my dad was mostly dealing with railroads. I I don't know if he ever dealt with individual homeowners. I don't yeah. think so, but I, I don't know, and I can't ask him at this yeah. point. So but that yeah, was yeah, that yeah. was a long time ago. So uh so you yeah. grew up down there and uh and then you stayed there.
1: Did you go to school I stayed, down there? Yeah.
0: Or um do you did you um skip the the college experience or what did you do?
1: I uh, I went to college out here. Um yeah, I stayed and I went to I went to college out here and went to Cal Cal State, LA. Mm-hmm. And um, got a bachelor's degree in accounting, business administration with the accounting option is what they call it on my degree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I just kind of stayed, you know, I travel, I go different places, but you know, this is home base I'm comfortable with it. Um, that's cool. I want to so do someplace else, but uh, now it's not the time to do it, huh? What'd you do with the
0: accounting degree?
1: Not a darn thing. <laughs> not a darn thing.
0: I, I was thinking that's what you were going to say. That's what I usually say about my math degree too. <laughs> man.
1: You know, I had these grand designs to be a CPA Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I thought about it, but when I got to, uh, my junior year and I had to take intermediate accounting and I was like, Oh God, no, I don't want to do this. Uh, This is just weight earnings per share calculations and all that. I don't want to do this for a living. Um, (laughs) and to be quite honest, I'm sorry that I didn't pursue it. I really am. Really? Uh, Yeah, because, you know, I didn't know, I didn't get past the auditing thing, right? To be Mm -hmm. a CPA, you have to have at least two years experience in auditing before you get your certificate. Obviously, you have to take the CPA, but you also have to have two years of auditing. And, you know, I didn't want, I said, I don't want to sit in somebody's basement with a, you know, visor and a banker's lamp, (laughs) a dusty old place (laughs) doing someone's books. I don't want to do that. I want to be outside and I want to talk to people and I want to, you know, and so, it wasn't until much, 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 much later when I, as an adult and made friends and made friends with CPAs that I realized there's more consulting involved in CPA work than just actual doing the books. You no know one what CPA sits down and does the books. Oh yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's consulting and advising and, you know, you're getting paid you know hundreds of dollars per hour or whatever, whatever their rates are like lawyer rates to be a mm-hmm. CPA. I'm like, I should have done that. Yeah. But yeah. No, I'm not I'm not using my degree in the accounting field. I use the organizational skills, you know, and I'm really good at math and numbers and I I use all the things that I learned in college to, you know, assess businesses. You know, I had a discussion with some folks about even assessing the voiceover business as an audiobook narrator, right? Determining, you know, whether it's the business for you and how much should you be charging and those types of I've had those discussions with people and using all the things that I've I learned, you know, in my Mm -hmm. undergraduate degree and putting all that to work and calculating and deciding what is viable and what isn't.
0: Sure. Yeah. And that stuff's important. I, um, I, I can't stress that enough when people ask for any advice on, oh, I'm thinking about doing this. I'm like, Hey, uh, that's great. I'm, I'm always really happy to encourage people to get into it, but I go, whoa, hold on a minute it's a business. And unless you just want to do it for a hobby and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but if that's not your plan, you better recognize it's a business. And there are a lot of things that you have to think about when you're starting a business. So having all that stuff is, is really good. Being able to, uh, to draw on that background, even if you didn't go into that line of work.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Some folks reached out to me and asked me that question, right? know, oh, should we do this and dah, 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 dah. And I said, listen, this is a business and you need to think about it as a business. I get that it's, you know, sexy and cool and, you know, I'm acting behind a mic and all that. But look, if you, if you want to consider it art and this is my art and I'm going to do this for, you know, the sake of art, you know what, read to yourself, mm-hmm. you know, read to yourself, record <laughs> it and play it back in the car. But yeah. you know, when you have other people relying on your talent, you know, you need to treat it like any other product, right? Yep. If I walk into Nordstrom and I want to buy something nice I expect something nice and I expect nice service and I'm okay with paying a premium because I'm getting what I want. Mm -hmm. And so when someone wants, you know, you, they're not hiring necessarily your voice. They're hiring you, the person, the business, the entity, you can give me as the author or the publisher, you can give me the product that I'm looking for that I can sell at top dollar. Mm -hmm. And your job is to remember that, you know? So, I mean, it's fun, but, it's it's a business and for me um i i don't know man i approached i approach a lot of things that way like assess the pros and cons but that's just who i am
0: yeah no i i'm the same way I, to yeah. me life is all about cost benefit analyses pretty much day in and day out no matter what it is that i'm doing i'm looking at it going what am i going to get from this what am i going to have to pay uh, whether it's money time sweat Pain, whatever it is, you got to pay something.
1: (laughs) I mean, you should, right? And 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 what do you? And what's important to you, right? What are you getting from it? mm -hmm. For me, at this stage in my life, I won't do anything unless I get joy from it, right? I mean, look, some things I do for money. I do want the money because I do like nice things. Uh, I do want to eat. You know, Mm -hmm. there are certain things, certain necessities that money will afford you to be able to take advantage of. But overall, just when I get up in the morning, what motivates me? I won't do anything unless there's some joy in it for me. And that's just kind of where where I'm at right now. I spent so much time doing things for other people, making tons of sacrifices, you know, even to my own peril and many, my own, you know, peril in terms of happiness, you Mm -hmm. know, making sacrifices and I, I don't know, man, I don't want to do that anymore.
0: Yeah, no, I don't blame you. And like you said, your stage in life makes a difference in that too. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, people who are 25 have different, um, motivations and uh different pain points on pretty much everything than people who are 65 yeah. uh so um that that all goes into it and i i never think ill of anybody because they're in a different stage of life and want to do things differently that's great if that works for you that's cool yeah
1: i mean and be patient right it, wherever you,
0: wherever people are in their stage of life you have to remember that
1: you know it's most things most things are just not personal. People are just kind of where they are in that moment. And mm-hmm. they're only acting or reacting based on where they are in that moment. Yeah. And for yeah. me, my, you know, my job is to just be as my, as much myself as I can be as peaceful as I can enjoy the joy as much as I can. And that way I'm open and,
0: you know, able to just enjoy other people because that's kind of where I am right now. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Well, yeah. since you didn't go into accounting, what did you do? <laughs> I became a police officer. And you did that for a long time, didn't you? 30 years. That's a full career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And were you in L.A. the whole time? I was in L.A. the whole time. There's a lot of different places. You can be a, a, a law enforcement officer in L.A. <laughs> it's a huge area.
1: Yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot. and I mean, there are more agencies than just, you know, the, the big two that you would know in L.A. But, yeah, I spent 30 years in L.A. doing law enforcement stuff, and it was fun sometimes and challenging most times and not fun a lot of the times and dangerous all the time
0: no doubt but uh you so after 30 years i mean i'm sure that you rose up through the ranks to a certain degree and didn't just stay at the the low level correct i retired as a captain yeah so um so how was that you went from from being i i assume there was nothing after being a law enforcement officer to being a narrator there was no other career in between is that correct that's correct. So 30 years, I mean, that's a long time. You have to see a lot of things. And when did when was the 30 years over?
1: Mm, I retired in 2017.
0: So from the what late 80s um, to to 2017, somewhere in there. Um, a lot of changes in the world, Leon. I mean, oh, I'm sure man. that uh, you know, being Ugh. being a law enforcement officer during that time period, holy cow, you must have seen a whole lot of things.
1: When I started, there were officers, detectives that I met and that came on in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Some came on in the 40s. If you can think about that, I mean, I I, I went to the academy in 1984, so there were some people, but. Even before that, as a I was working as a civilian in the records division of the police department. So I was working around the police since I was 18. So my adult life, like most of my life, I've been working around cops. Wow. And I was around people who, you know, they were on the job in the 40s, the 50s, 60s. Not, many of them worked, the, you know, the Watts riots out here in L.A., So they have a lot of stories and, um, you know, I learned a lot from them, you know, some of them were bitter, most were not, they had really good experiences, good stories. They gave me a lot of really good advice. Most of it I didn't take, um, but, (laughs) you know, but it was just nice, you know, it's just nice to have that, that knowledge base and that experience available, right. Put it in, put it in your little file, your mental file cabinet or whatever, and then pull it out when you need it, which I did. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, a, a lot has changed, right? There were no computers in cars and the stuff that you see right now didn't exist, right? It was like yeah. Robocop stuff back in the day. We, the things that we see now was not even a concept back in the day. But, you know, a lot has changed. Uh, society has changed. Um, how we as black males are, 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 are viewed uh, has changed a little bit, right? There are mm-hmm. more in the police department now than there were when I started, but... Yeah, I was gonna you know, say
0: back in the eighties, I mean, I realized that that eighties were not the sixties, but still, I have to imagine that back then it was a fairly low percentage of black. when officers. I first
1: started, they still called blacks Negroes, oh wow, yeah, okay. so um, you know, when you get on the computer and you check somebody out, you know as as the movies call it run a make on somebody. Mm-hmm, yeah, no, we never said that, but you're run make <laughs> on somebody. um, you know, they referred to black folks as Negroes. And, um, and, and I still, you know, I'm still fascinated by 70s TV shows. I still have my favorite 70s TV shows and TV series involving cops. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still watch them. Like I have the police story series on, you know, DVD here that I love to watch still hmm. because I love the whole concept behind that particular series showing cops, not just in the street, but at home in their home life. Mm-hmm. But to see how we as black men were perceived back then right mm-hmm. in the in those in those um uh, shows we were the pimp and the hustler and the sidekick and you know never the lead character never the the lead man in the car but always you know the subordinate person mm-hmm. you know and same thing with women and especially black women um and you know a lot of that has changed right it's mm-hmm. a slow change but a lot of that has changed but that's how it was then. Um, you know, it's just kind of the way it was. And it's difficult, I will say this. It was very, very difficult to be a black man in the police department in the 80s and try and maintain your own identity.
0: Yeah, I can uh, I well, I was gonna say I can imagine. I, I really can't, but yeah. um, but I can I can come close. I mean, like well, you, I, can. I, I under, I mean, yeah, you can. I mean, yeah, I understand imagine what you're because saying. Because yeah.
1: you've been in situations where you didn't fit. Oh, sure. I, I yeah. don't know all, you know, your circumstances, but I'm, I guarantee you've been in situations, whether it's social, whether it's, you know, friends, family, you mm-hmm. know, academic work, you've been in situations where you just didn't fit and you felt out of place, right? Yeah. A work situation, you go to a work party, the bosses are there, right? Do I drink at this party? Or do I not drink at this party? Mm-mm. What kind of music are they listening to? Should I dance to this or should I nod my head or do I agree with it? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And so yeah. and imagine that, you know, every day, every day, all the time, all the time. And yeah. your life is on the line while you're doing all that. You rely on those people, right? You can't piss them off. Right. You know, they. I get in the car and my partner wants to put on country music in the car while we roll around and answer calls. And I don't want to hear that crap. But, right. you know, that's, that's not my thing. It wasn't my thing. How about if I put on some parliament, man, you want to hear that? <laughs> no, you don't want to hear that. Okay, great. Yeah. So then turn that down and let's just roll. You know, uh, we got to share. Yeah. Um,
0: no, But I know. you, you got to
1: be careful because of the same people that you're working with that you may disagree with are going to save your life one day. So right. there's, you know, there's the dichotomy. A yeah. dichotomy, so
0: right? talk about a risk benefit analysis when, when you yeah. have to go through that risk benefit analysis of yeah. everything that you say and do constantly yeah. with the people around you, that's, that's stress. That's a, that's a huge amount of, of stress and compartmentalization and, you know, trying, trying to figure out that fitting in thing without losing yourself. You know what? That's the best way to put it. How do you
1: fit in without losing yourself? And I'm mm-hmm. telling you, I'm gonna tell you something. It's hard. Yeah. And I struggled with it for many years, struggled with it up until the very end. I struggled with it, trying to fit in and not lose myself.
0: Yeah. Well, clearly you did a good job. I mean, you made it up to captain and, um, and I, I assume that it was overall a reasonable experience, even if there were difficult times. Uh, it was an experience that, uh, <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> Because I don't want to really say that it was all
1: bad, because it wasn't. Mm-hmm. There were some really good things that happened. And for me, I I'm gonna say this out loudly. And you 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 may think it's contradictory, but I'm gonna say it anyway. No, I that's don't fine. take orders very well. And me being in a in a job, in a career that's all about structure, orders, compliance, uniformity, you know, it, it's all about that. I don't take orders very well. I hate it. I hate Mm -hmm. being told what to do, and I do everything possible so that I don't have to be told what to do. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm, I try and be the very best at what I can be in what I'm doing because, A, that's how that's how I was taught. Right. You have to be twice as good to be considered half as good. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the way I was taught coming up as a black man. That's Mm -hmm. kind of how it is. And so for me, if I, if I do my job really, really well, then they won't ask me anything else and they won't tell me to do anything else, which is one reason why I promote it. Because my thought was the higher that I get, the fewer people I have telling me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I then mean, I have more people I... that I am responsible for. And now I can guide people. I sure. can set the tone. I can create the narrative that I think is best. And I know I'm not going to hurt anybody. So now I can do my best to take care of my
0: people and then
1: i did that and got out but politics is terrible and that's that's the thing the worst thing about it politics was awful
0: yeah no doubt um in in any large organization um i i'm sure that that's true in law enforcement i i just i can only imagine um that it's certainly true there yeah um so 2017 but you've been narrating longer than that haven't you (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I started before before I retired. That's was, what I thought, yeah, yeah. So it was just kind of a part-time thing on the side. You looked into it and did that risk-benefit analysis and thought, I'd like to do this. I did, actually. How'd that, um, how'd that come about? Well, I got into improv first.
1: I mean, I got into narration through improv. So I was, I don't know, 2014, 12, 13, 13, I think it was. Anyway, I was taken to an improv show out here in L.A. And I had never been to an improv show. I like theater. I like live theater. But I had never seen improvisational comedy. Mm-hmm. So I went to a show at the Second City out here in Hollywood. Oh. And uh, I saw a group of black improvisers, a team called uh, uh, five, I think five black men. And their team name was called White Women. I'm <laughs> like, That's pretty cool. Hmm. What are they going to do? And so I watched them and they did a set. And they took a suggestion from the audience and, and, and they went, they just went at it and I was mesmerized. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where it came from, but I was just, I got to do that. I'm going to do that. I don't know how, I don't know how, but I'm going to figure out how to do that. Cause I was just mesmerized at how from one suggestion they created an entire world. And I laughed my ass off
0: for 30 minutes. And you had never done any acting before? Never. That's Ever. fantastic. Ever. I, I love hearing that because I, I love improv as well. I, I rarely get to improv stuff. There's not a big improv community here in, in Tucson, small one, but um that that's fantastic that you had such a good experience and <laughs> wanted to do it. It was so much fun. So I went back and saw another group. These were all
1: black female improvisers. I think their team name was Essence. Oh, I thought maybe it was going to be five white men.
0: (laughs) That would have been great. That would have been great. Um,
1: But they were so good. So what I did was I did some research, found a small little studio out here that taught improv. And I went and took the class. And I was just I was in from day one, minute one, when he said, "Okay, let's get started. I was in, in, in. I smiled the entire time. And I've been smiling ever since
0: <laughs> that is so great to hear I and love so then i kind of went like down that. the
1: rabbit hole of the acting world right because now you're in that world and other people like oh yeah you know i took this acting class and da, 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 da. And then i met someone who introduced me to someone and i took another class and the guy said have you ever taken acting classes and i was like he's asking me because he must think i suck um, <laughs> but but he was he was not criticizing me he was trying to help me and i said no And he gave me a phone number of a guy of an acting coach out here. I went and saw him. And during my audition for this acting coach, we did an improv scene and he was blown away. He's like, oh, wow, you're a good improviser. I'm like, yeah, I think I know what I'm doing a little bit, but thanks. And so anyway, I went down the rabbit hole and one thing led to another. And someone mentioned in one of the classes, you know, you've got a good voice. Have you thought about voiceover? And I was like, "Mm, no, but. Let's check it out. Why not? <laughs> and so I did, right? I went down, went down the voiceover rabbit hole and started investigating and looking into classes and seeing what that is. And everywhere I went, people were saying, you know, okay, do this, do this. You can get into commercials, you can do e-learning or you know what? But just don't do audiobooks. <laughs> don't do audiobooks, Why? Just don't do audiobooks. It's way too hard. It it would give me all kinds of reasons why I shouldn't do audiobooks. I'm like, Too oh, much okay. time, not enough time. Yeah, money. okay. Look, like, yep. you want me to do something? Tell me not to do it. Yeah. <laughs> what did I tell you before? I hate being told what not to do. I hate That's it. great. So um I'm like, what is this audiobook thing? Okay, let's see. I went down that rabbit hole. And so I started looking up audiobooks and listening to different narrators. And I'm like, oh, okay, I I can do that. It's reading a book. So one morning before I went to work, I had a USB mic in my house and I plugged the USB mic into my MacBook Pro and I'm sitting at my desk. It's about 5 a.m. I, didn't, I was the captain. I didn't have to be at work at a certain time, but I'd like to get to work early so I can get my workout in and start my day before everybody got there. But mm-hmm. at 5 a.m., I'm sitting at my desk at home and I whip out this book. And the book is, I still remember, the book is called How to Remember Anything because I was working on memorization, right? Because I'm mm-hmm. down the acting, you know, rabbit hole you and no I want to learn scripts. how to memorize my lines, right? Yeah. So I bought this book on how to remember, how to remember anything. So I'm like, okay, let's open. I opened it up to a random chapter and just started reading it. And so I read into the mic and I saved it and transferred it to my phone and listened to it in my car on the way to work. It was awful. (laughs) Just awful. It was, you know, I sounded like a nine-year-old reading a book report. It was just (laughs) terrible. And I'm like, this can't be that hard. Right. So now I'm like investigating more. How do I get better? What's going on? So I, I, at the time I had a narrator that I listened to a lot that I I since know and, and we're friends now and all that, which is a whole nother, conversation but it's pretty cool (laughs) this community is just the best
0: oh yeah so and i have no no disagreement there
1: and i've (laughs) and i've since told him this story i told him this story privately i won't mention names in fact i don't think i'll mention any names because once you go down that rabbit hole of mentioning one name you got to mention everybody over why me you know (laughs) so anyway so um what i did was i would happen to be listening to a book that this particular narrator big name narrator was narrating and um so i said here's what i'm going to do I've got to learn to narrate like him. So, if I listen to him in my ears and say what he's saying in the mic, maybe I'll sound like him. Right now, I don't have the book. All I have is the audio book. But so what I did was I put my earbud in one ear, had and I had my mic in front of me, and as the narrator spoke the words, you know, in that you know millisecond or whatever it took my brain to, to receive it, I would speak the words. Mm -hmm. So it's like a moving echo. Right. So I'm like, boom, boom, boom. Say it, say it, say it, say it, say it, say it, say it. it. I I did that for about an hour. Wow. And I listened to myself, you know, another time on the, on my phone, took it, transferred it to my phone, put it in my car, listened to it on the way to work. And, um, I'm like, wow, that sounds pretty good. (laughs) Mm. Better better than your first attempt. Better than the book report. This is great. (laughs) Um, but I could, you know, that's not sustainable because, you know, the book has already been done. Right. So anyway, the, the bottom line is, you know, someone told me audiobooks was really hard and I said, yeah, okay. How hard can it be? And then I realized through doing it, it is freaking hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not easy, right? It's not like a 30 second commercial spot, right? It's not like doing e-learning, even though I've never done e-learning and I haven't done any other form of of voiceover. I have a commercial demo that I did thinking I was going to get commercial work, but I got, sucked into the audiobook thing because it was a challenge and then it became how do i perfect this and you know how do i manage the tech and narrate at the same time it just became a thing so Mm -hmm. i just oh man i just it was hard and i was going to conquer the hard come hell or high water and here i am
0: that's great i i love hearing that sometimes somebody telling you you can't do something is fantastic motivation Mm -hmm. or or not that you can't but that you shouldn't do something is uh, is good motivation and if nothing else even if it hadn't worked out that way you would have taken what they said and said well why not and you would have looked into it and that would have been enough for maybe somebody else to say oh wow yeah that's not for me and i think that's just as good information as hey i kind of like this yeah you know whether whether you get information saying i should go this direction or i should not go this direction it's good information. It is good information. It is. Yeah.
1: Right? Everything ain't for everybody. Right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. So just,
1: I, just accept that and move on.
0: Yeah. There. I, I don't uh, get offended in the least when I hear somebody who's really big in whatever it is, commercial or e-learning or whatever it is, saying, yeah, I did an audiobook once. I will never do that again. Well. <laughs> totally fine you know yeah. it didn't work for you that's that's fantastic that you found out and you didn't waste more time on it yeah um whereas for some of us you know sitting in the booth and and being alone and telling a story really works better than the commercial copy or whatever it is so yeah. uh, so that's great that's great that you found all that out um yeah. and so you were doing that while you were still working as you got closer to retirement were you thinking Hell yeah, I can I can sustain this. I'm going to go into this. I'm going to retire from from law enforcement and just do this all the time. I didn't think that way at first. Um,
1: when I first started, I was I was on ACX right because the barrier uh-huh. to entry was really low. Sure. And so I was only doing I don't know, like one book a month, maybe I don't know like one book every two months. I I didn't do very much in the very mm-hmm. beginning. And um, and when I retired at the time, I was retiring uh, winding down to retire and then ultimately retired, I was taking acting classes. So I was kind of in that world. And I was like, okay, first of all, I need to work on my acting ability. If I want to be a good audiobook narrator, let's start there. Mm-hmm. But then I kind of got in that little world about acting and filmmaking. And that's where all the filmmaking directing thing came because I started, you know, doing short films and making short films and directing short films and stuff like that. And I kind of went down that path too. Mm-hmm. And so I was investigating whether that was something that I wanted to do. And I realized that I didn't necessarily, I wasn't passionate about it. Like other people in class were like, oh, okay. I want to get on this network show. This is my favorite show. You know, oh, whatever. I mm-hmm. want to be on the next friends. I don't know. Yeah. That was not my thing. In fact, I made this announcement in class one day. I was like, you know, they were talking about before class started, they were talking about, um, yeah, you know, I want to be on this show and I can't wait to get an agent and do this, this, and this. And I was like, you know what? I have no desire to be on TV. Mm -hmm. And they looked at me like I was nuts. Like, why are you here? (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: Why are you wasting your time? (laughs) I
1: came out here from Canton, Ohio to to be an actor. I drew, I I left my family to come out here to pursue a dream and you're out here in your neighborhood and you don't want it? Move over. Get out of here. (laughs) They looked at me like I was nuts but it was true. It was true. You know, having been on sets and seeing how people behave, I'm like, man, I spent 30 years doing that. I'm not going to let somebody, you know, tell me, you know, I'm not doing it. I'm I'm telling you right now, I'm not doing it. I don't like it. Right. I don't, I don't like that feeling. I don't Mm -hmm. mind, you know, I don't mind creating the work and I don't like being told what to do, but I will do it for a purpose. But the way people were treated, I was not cool with. Yeah. I was not cool with. And so I'm like, nah, man, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Um, but I still want the skill, right? I still think the acting skill, um, professionally as an audiobook narrator and personally, in my personal
0: life, the acting skill is golden. That is so funny you say that because I I had the same experience with being in an acting class. I, I was taking an acting class up in San Francisco when I was doing stage work in the Bay Area, and I loved it. I thought it was great. And then I went back into high tech and I stopped focusing on the acting stuff. So I I stopped taking this class. Mm. And a year or two later, I said to my wife, you know what? I realized that I'm not pursuing this as aggressively as I was for various reasons. And I'm not sure that this acting class is ever going to get me any work of any kind. But you know what? I liked it. I was learning shit I was I was doing something that I found helpful to me personally and I realized that an acting class is not therapy it's really important that people understand that because sometimes well anyway it's 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 important that people understand that and yet it can be therapeutic in certain ways and I learned a ton of stuff just about dealing with people I just I found it so helpful And, uh, and so I went back to class for, I think it was another year, maybe two, and I loved it. Um, and so, you know, hearing that from you, it's, it's, it's good to hear that other people have that experience too. It's like, I'm taking this acting class and it's not just about being a better actor. It's like, this is helping me personally.
1: What was the number one thing for you that helped you the most?
0: Uh, personally, I have to say it was understanding and accessing emotions. Mm. and I, I will say that regardless of how many days I spent in acting class, I am nowhere near where I think I should be in those areas, but I think it really helped from where I was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Accessing those emotions is all about non, non-judgment, non right? Not judging yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's hard sometimes. When, uh someone explained it to me this way and I'm going to, I'm going to try it and do him justice, but he explained it to me by saying that when you start thinking about what will happen after it's done, you've lost it. You're not in the moment. And so when you are, when you're trying to access your emotions, you're like, okay, uh, I'm, you know, should I be sad? Should I be, if, if you're doing all that, you're worried about how people will perceive your emotion instead mm-hmm. of feeling your emotion. Right? Like if you yep. and I are someplace and, I do something and you get really pissed at me. You're not going to go into your inner monologue and say, I'm pissed at Leon. How am I going to react? You're going to be like, Leon, knock that shit off.
0: Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's, then <laughs> that's
1: the, a real true emotion. And so if you can just let go of the expectation or let go of how you're being perceived and just live, which is when I say that, you know, acting has helped me, it's helped me in that way too. Right. just, let go of the things that you've been holding on to. Okay. So as a cop, you, you are trained not to show emotion. So when you see dragnet, just the facts, ma'am, that's some real shit and not necessarily robotic like that. Right. Mm -hmm. But you're trained not to react. You're trained to be stoic, to be unemotional, right. Disconnected. Mm -hmm. And in, in many ways in the station, you know, among your peers, you know, outside in the street with your supervisors, you're trained to be, you know, emotionless, because if you're emotional, then you can't think if you're emotional, you can't utilize your training. If you're emotional, you make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so that was like hammered into me for years. And so acting has helped me tremendously to get out of that. That's fantastic to get out of that. And, And I've learned and, you know, and I still practice it today. If you, if you're thinking about you know, what will happen if I do this, then you've already lost the moment. Mm -hmm. The moment is you and I having this conversation right now with no script in front of us and reacting how we react. You're surprised at some things you've learned and, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful to learn some things about you. And so this is, this exchange is just like normal life, which is what acting should be. Yeah. Right. And so that's what I've learned. And I try and take that into my personal life and just, accept people for who they are. Listen, 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 right. Acting is reacting. Listen, listen, listen. And big for me, because as a cop, we have a script we follow, but big for me, what I work on all the time and getting better at all the time is respond to the last thing said and build on that. And that helps me listen more, right? Like you're talking And I'm like, oh yeah, Rich said this. So here's what I'm going to, I'm going to respond to that. But you've Mm -hmm. moved past that and you may have said five other things, right? But I'm responding to something you said two and a half minutes ago during your two and a half minute monologue or whatever. And the moment's lost. But so for me, I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Respond to the, listen, 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 respond to the last thing said. And that moves the conversation forward. And so I practice that all the time, even today. And acting has helped me do that
0: yeah no that that sounds like a, a great i I totally get how how that lesson could be carried over into life i remember one time talking to talking to somebody that i was acting with in a, in a shakespeare play hmm. and uh she was talking about somebody else that she had worked with and she said i couldn't believe it one time i went to him and and he he didn't um he i, I think that what what happened was she missed her cue line and he didn't say anything And so everything had to stop. It was in a rehearsal and everything had to stop. And, um, he said, well, but you didn't say X, Y, Z. And she said, no, I, I know I screwed up. I made a mistake, but you know, weren't you listening? And he's all, I'm just listening from my cue line. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what a lost opportunity to actually act. I mean, you've got to be listening to who you're talking to so that you can then respond. Right. So yeah, listening, listening is everything.
1: Cause the line isn't always words. You know what I mean? Exactly. Right. Right. Cause what is it? 80 something percent of communication is nonverbal. So if you're just listening for that 12%, you've lost it.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. If she
1: dropped her line and you look at her and you know, you know, you got an idea what her line is supposed to be. So then maybe you respond as though she said her line that she
0: dropped. Right. And then or, it, it live in that moment. Right, or you pick up whatever she did, just finish Absolutely. up with, and then kind of work back into whatever the script is. so, yeah, listening, listening is everything when it comes yeah, to listening is everything, the and
1: you know what I've learned is that people don't listen, yeah, no, I'm, and it's frustrating, I, yeah, when I watch I, you know interviews with people, you know okay, doing research for audiobooks, you know, we watch a lot of interviews waiting mm-hmm. for them to say the name or whatever it is you right know. right. And, and and so every now and then I get caught up in it and maybe other audiobook narrators can agree or disagree, but I do my research. And then every now and then an interview is like, I'm doing research for a project right now. And and the interview I was, I was listening to earlier today was just so good. I just stopped and listened to it. I'm like, wow, this is really good. And then (laughs) others, I just want the information. And I, I really look at the interviewer and I'm like, dude, you're not listening. Yeah. So much has just been said. Why don't you respond to that? You know? And so yeah, listening is a huge skill that many people don't have because you know they're wrapped up in their own shit. Yeah. They got something they want to say and they want to wait till you finish so they can say it.
0: Yeah. And that's okay. It it, it it kind of is. It certainly is helpful when, when um people aren't so wrapped up that they're actually listening to what other people say. But um yeah. depending on background, that can be really difficult to overcome. Um, because yeah, you, you've been trained to you know react in certain ways and to always be on the lookout for um you know how you're going to be perceived and other things to draw you out of the moment of actually listening to what somebody's saying yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyway, that's that's funny to hear. It's also funny to hear that you were just doing that today because I was doing the same thing and I found an interview with the author of the book that I'm researching mm-hmm. and I ended up just kind of watching it for a while <laughs> because even though there were, he wasn't saying anything that I was looking for, it was kind of fun, you know, listening to him. It's fascinating, right? Yeah. Yeah. And definitely.
1: this is a great career. Listen, if you're a knowledge nerd like me, you know, I like to hoard knowledge. Give me more knowledge. Mm-hmm. um Yeah. I mean, this is this is great because I learn. I learn in entirely too much which is more than more than most people consider you know when they want to learn something it's like oh just give me what i need for the test sure uh, yeah. you know i want more i want to know why and who and what about the who you know i'm yeah. I'm, the, I'm the person who reads the footnotes right
0: yeah no i'm I'm the same way I, I love doing nonfiction for that reason i just wish i could retain more of it it's like oh. i i pre-read the book and then i look everything up and then i narrate the books i'm reading it again and by the time i'm done and on to the next book i've forgotten like 80% of it and That's so hilarious. it's it's kind of frustrating but i know it's it's just kind of the way things work yeah. Um, but yeah knowledge nerd i like i like that so uh, <laughs> that so weird. you so you started going into it part time and you weren't really intending to do full time and then you retired and now you're in audi- audiobooks pretty much full time or is that wrong? I mean, are you doing other voiceover work and other, I'm not
1: doing any other voiceover work. So you're, you're pretty much
0: just focused on audiobooks. That's right. It has worked for you. That's, that's fantastic. Um, so do you have any kind of a specialty or a niche or do you take whatever's thrown at you? Do you prefer nonfiction or fiction or just anything? I will do
1: almost
0: anything that comes my way. Um,
1: I'm noticing a trend. Interesting. You asked me this question. I'm noticing a trend with people with books that I'm getting projects that I'm getting characters that I'm getting. If I'm, you know, a part of a multicast or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, I have a tendency to get, get, um, books, projects, characters, material where the person that I'm responsible for being in that project is an authoritative type figure, right? Hmm. Somebody who is, um, Uh, an academic or uh, a father or, you know, a a CEO or a preacher, somebody who has, you know, an authoritative essence of Mm -hmm. them. I get that. And um, yeah, it took me a little while to figure that out. uh, And also took me a while to accept that um, because I want to, I see myself differently than other people see me. Right. Mm -hmm. I think I'm kind of fun and, you know, whatever. Um, And I like being goofy and, you know, and I want to be goofy, and I am with people that I'm really close to. They know how silly I can be. Um, But other people that don't know me or know a little about me perceive me a certain way. And so someone asked me, I don't know if it was on that session that you saw, um, the APAC session. I can't remember when it was. Someone asked me about casting. And ask me about you know how do you determine what books you take and you know what's your specialty like you're asking me now, Mm -hmm. and my answer was then and it's and it's even been reinforced and it's the same now is, you know you don't choose your genre your genre chooses you, Mm -hmm. yeah and people cast you in things that they see you you're a fit for and it may not necessarily be in my case who I want to be like I want to be. I want to play characters and, you know, I want to do voices and I want to, you know, I want to do all that stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm practicing on my own because I'm going to, I'm branching out on my own to do some of those things. Cause I, that's a project that, you know, if I'm not good at it and I want to be good at it, I want to work hard to be good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to do some of those, but you know, the paying projects that I'm getting right now, uh, I don't necessarily have a particular genre that's like specialty or that I will take over anything else. I'll just take whatever comes my way because that's how you see me. And mm-hmm. if you see that I'm a good fit for that project, I'm happy to give you my 150% best to make it the best that I can give you because I'm giving you me, mm-hmm. you're getting yeah. me. You gave it to me, you're getting me. And so I'm going to give you the best me that I can give you and uh, you know, hope it works.
0: Now, have, have you been offered anything where you take a look at it and you say, you think to yourself, look, I know that they came to me because they see me as a good choice for this, but I'm looking at this, I'm not a good choice for this. Yeah, I've said no to a couple of those. So you have, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, You know, I don't know if we're going to talk about, um, what's the casting, what's the term for the appropriate level of casting? You you probably know it better than I do.
0: Well, what I'm thinking of is authentic casting. Authentic
1: casting, thank you.
0: Okay. Um, Yeah, I
1: mean, look, I've been offered projects that, I felt like someone from another represented group could be better at doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've said that I, I said, you know, I appreciate in, in my own words, but the essence of it is, um, you know, I appreciate you thinking about me for this and I would, and and under any other circumstance, I would love to do it, but I think that this particular project is a better fit for somebody from a group represented, you know, in the material mm-hmm. works to that effect. And, um, you know, I've gotten people response back. Oh, yeah, great. Thank you for letting us know da. -da 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 -da. And then it goes to somebody else. And, you know, the group that's, you know, better fit for this project. Yeah. And I don't mind doing that. And then others I've just said no to because I'm like, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Really? So how has that gone? In my brain, when I get these projects, I'm like, I ain't doing that shit. You know, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, but the email will say um, I am not the best fit for this. Project, perhaps somebody that has these views would be able to give it a more authentic read Mm -hmm. to that effect. Because, you know, if if somebody offers me a project from certain, you know, groups, you know, hate groups, uh, or, you know, groups that support, you know, nonsense, uh, I'm I'm not doing that, man. I'm not. I'm sorry. You know, maybe that person is a Black person in that particular area that believes those things, and maybe my voice fits that but you know the beliefs alone i can't get behind that i can't get you know my emotions you know appropriately behind that to give a a good read i'll be i'll do it be robotic but i don't even want my name on that crap i'm not doing that
0: yeah and and i think that that falls under authentic casting as well i mean you know so i am somebody who said up until probably four or five years ago you know it's voiceover i mean you're acting it's all acting I didn't realize all the nuance to to things and and you know I learned but I really think that you know casting somebody who feels positive towards whatever the ideas are that are being promoted um uh, makes a difference oh yeah or or at the very least if it's fiction feeling like even if i don't even if you know I'm not a whatever it is this character is who is a terrible person. Hmm. Um, having this character in here is important for this story. And this story is a good story. And I'm happy to be that person in, in order for that, you know, feeling to come through for the, for the whole story. So Mm -hmm. I, I kind of include that in authentic casting as well.
1: That's good. And because at at the end of the day, it's all about telling the story authentically, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Right. What did Meisner say? I, 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 I studied under the Meisner method. Living truthful under imaginary circumstances, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know the book ain't real, but you're trying to be the best person in there you can. And so yeah. yeah, I mean, listen, I I um I've been analyzing good actors. I listen a lot to good narrators. I listen to all narrators, but I analyze the good narrators. Mm-hmm. And um, and I've found I figured out that good narrators um that are good actors are good actors for a reason. Mm-hmm. So I I look at some of their work and, you know, I, and I'm like, oh, I get it now. That's why I think that Shakespearean actors are pretty good. They end up being really good actors because it's not about the words. The words are so archaic. It's you can't just say them unless you really mean them or know them or mm-hmm. embody them. Good actors are good actors because they embody the circumstance, the character, the situation, the word. Mm-hmm. They embody it, right? They're living it. You can't just read it. You got to live it. And yeah. so for me, if I get some crap, I'm like, I ain't living that shit. Sorry, man. It, maybe somebody else can live it, but I ain't. Or um, if I get something that another represented group should be doing, you know, a group represented in the material should be doing. I'm like, you know what? I can't embody that because I can't do it authentically. That ain't me. Mm-hmm. Somebody else should do that person, that person or that this book or this project. Let let somebody else do it because there are plenty, there's plenty of work to go around. Right. And, yeah. and there are plenty of people that are different and let someone who is different than me do this project and they can do a much better job. And the bottom line is we want to give a project, give a product that is good and is authentic and is saleable bottom line. Right. It's about money, it's business.
0: Yeah, it certainly sounds like it is something that is important to you. And I know that it's important to a lot of uh, other people that I've spoken with, that it is something that is, that seems to be a trend that is continuing. Um, of course, whenever you see a trend, it's hard to tell whether it is going to continue, but it does, it, it seems to me from the people that I've spoken with, that it is kind of going in that direction.
1: Well, it'll continue if we we want it to continue, Mm -hmm. it'll continue if we continue to push it to continue, you know, authentic casting is important, right? There's some stories, look, I get a lot of, I get a lot of books about, um, civil rights and, you know, slave times. And, and I, and I love it, by the way, I am, I love it. And I am frustrated at the same time because I'm like, how come I didn't know this earlier? No one taught me this Mm. stuff in junior high school or elementary school. And I'm asking myself, how come I didn't go to an HBCU? I should've gone to Howard,
0: you know? (laughs) I'm asking myself all
1: these questions, you know? All these questions I'm asking myself, but related to, you know, authentic casting, I wouldn't want someone who is not black to to narrate some of the books that I've done. You know, about black people, about the Mm -hmm. struggle, you know, I wouldn't want people to do that. I wouldn't, because you can't, you can't authentically say that. And for someone to say, well, it's just voiceover. It's just a voice. I mean, no one's really going to see. No, people will see because Mm -hmm. they know how you feel about what you're saying. They know what you're thinking about what you're saying. And if Mm -hmm. you're doing it right, you have the right clarity in what you're saying, then you are communicating it properly. And unless you have all of those things, the feeling, the embodiment, and the clarity of those words, you're not saying it right. Mm-hmm. And unless you are of the group that can truly appreciate that, you don't deserve to say those words. That's how I feel.
0: Yeah. Right? No, that makes sense. If
1: James Baldwin has a book and someone's narrating a James Baldwin book, right? I don't want somebody from a group that doesn't represent James Baldwin saying those words because you can't say it authentically. That's just the way I feel. Mm -hmm. And you know, and there are two groups that can do that book and both should have an opportunity to do that book. Anyone else? No, sorry. I don't think you should do it. That's just how I feel.
0: No, I I totally hear that. And uh, you know, like, like I was saying, I I think that 20 years ago, it wasn't even a, most people were not thinking that way. I think in general. And I think it's it's much more common now, and I I'm I'm all for it. I, Me I think too. I think it's great that things Me are moving too. in that direction. I hope they continue to move, and that you know big studio decisions continue to move in that direction, not just because it's profitable, but because it's right. Well, look, they is us, right? They the big studios, you know the the big
1: is it still big five. <laughs>
0: Oh, I don't you know, even know. The big, pub, the big
1: <laughs> publishers, you know, the production houses, the larger ones that people know, you know, the, the authors that are, look, yes. Oh, for audiobooks, they, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for audiobooks, yeah, that's, what, that's yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I get that they want to make money. I 100% get it. But if narrators, right, the people on the receiving end of these offers are saying you know, yes, no, maybe so to these projects appropriately, then yeah, they have no choice. Mm-hmm. They offer a book to somebody and, and the, someone says, yeah, I'll do it. Whether they're right for the project or not, because they want the money, you know, uh, you know, uh, of course they're going to get the project because the publisher just wants to get the book out. They want to mm-hmm. get it on the market. They want to get it sa- get it sold. And if the person can pull it off, then yeah. But is it right uh, in my opinion, you're asking me, in my opinion, it's not right. It should come yeah. from a represented group of that material, of that author, of that theme, whatever it might be. Um, and so that's just how, that's just how I feel about it. And we, we, the people that are on the receiving end of that offer can drive that
0: Yeah, because it no, they can I, only I offer to so
1: many people. And if everybody says no, not listen, I'm not trying to get in a publisher's pocket. I'm not trying to get in their business. I'm just trying to say, what I think is the right way to represent a group of people or material properly. That's mm-hmm. all I'm saying.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. And, and I think that when you do that, you will make a better product. And when you have a better product, it will do better in the marketplace. I, I think that it's it's kind of a win-win all around if you if you do things like that. So uh so totally agree. Nicholas Cage is not gonna do a, a role that's meant for Morgan Freeman. Let's <laughs> <laughs> all Thank whatever deity we believe in for that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so Leon, you are at this point, you're, you're narrating a lot. What do you do when you're not narrating? You're no longer a uh, member of law enforcement. You are focusing on audiobooks. What do you do when you're not doing audiobooks? Oh God. I have got this thing with calligraphy right now, Rich. Oh, no kidding. Yeah,
1: I am. Oh my God. I got this, this love hate thing with calligraphy. (laughs) I, you'll rarely see me without a pen in my hand or in my pocket. You know, I've always got something and I'm working on this lettering. It's just got me. I've been working on it for like the past. Okay. So I started out wanting to improve my penmanship right in in elementary school i learned how to sign my name i learned how to write cursive right we all did that i did maybe they don't oh yeah it anymore, back, but back in the
0: back in our day yeah <laughs> way back in the day when i was coming up you know they gave us a quill and some ink
1: <laughs> and i learned cursive but you know law enforcement beat it out of me <laughs> They're like mm. everything will be in block print all caps i write like an architect my yeah. block print is beautiful it, it's you know i i've been doing it forever i can write block print nice but when i go to write you know cursive it was just like a doctor writing a prescription it was terrible. <laughs> and so i started doing some research, you know me and what am i what, what am i about to say rich i did some research I learned knowledge to see- nerd <laughs> I totally knowledge nerd and i stumbled onto the golden age of penmanship right the late 1800s early 1900s about penmanship where all the old masters were writing and it was like a a whole thing correspondence courses in penmanship how to get better at it so i was down the penmanship rabbit hole so i was working on improving my penmanship and i was like you know what this calligraphy thing looks pretty neat and i figured out that i really like the sort of tactile part of that i really i really enjoy like I I want to learn how to draw for crying out loud. I mean, I love all of that stuff. I love the having a pen in my hand and making letter forms and strokes and I love the end result and so I that's like got my attention. It's the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning. It used to be my morning pages out of you know Julia Cameron's book. Um I, I it, it used to be my morning pages. Now I get up in the morning and do my calligraphy.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. There it is. So it's kind of a um a way to start the day that, that gets your mindset in a, in a positive way.
1: It's meditative.
0: Yeah. That's, it really, really is. That's fantastic. What so I you... work on
1: that every free moment I have. Listen, if I'm in a bar and I've got my journal and in a free, in a moment or two, I'll have my journal out and I'm working on a letter form. It's
0: so is that everywhere. something that you're thinking you could use at some point, uh, professionally or, For people that you know, you've got a friend who's got somebody getting married, you're going to hand letter the invitations, or is it just for you and that's it? Uh,
1: A little of both. It is just for me, but I also see a business opportunity. I won't say what it is, but I've already purchased a domain name that I want to use. Nice. And I have a business plan written out that I think I can put together. You know, what will my rates be and why I've done all of that. So if I choose to go in that direction, then I I think I can make my, and not wedding invitations. I don't want to do wedding. I don't want bridezillas. I just, do <laughs> um, I've seen the show a couple of times. I'm like, no, I don't think that's for my life right now. <laughs> um, but I do think that, um, the art of handwriting, you know, uh, I, I write handwritten letters to certain people and, um, the response I get is really great. Mm-hmm. um,
0: well, it's a and dying so art. I, I mean, I, kids aren't even learning it these days.
1: Yeah, I know they don't teach it in school anymore. They like don't. they don't have band in school anymore for
0: crying I, out loud. I heard that about cursive writing, and I thought, no, I must, I must have misunderstood. No, they it, don't. They it's don't. A thing. It is. They don't have I'm, it.
1: They don't teach it anymore. Yeah. Weird. And if you watch today, watch, watch someone who is, I don't know, what's after millennials? I don't know. Someone uh, watch someone who's about twenty ish. And yeah, and watch them hold a pen. It's like they're grabbing something. It's They grab it too tight. They hold it with like a fist. They don't hold it in the, you know, the tripod mm-hmm. or whatever sure, we call yeah. it. You know, the finger on top and the finger on the side and the thumb on the side. They don't mm-hmm. hold it like we were taught to. They grab it and they write hard yeah. because they weren't taught to hold the pen and write in cursive. And so anyway, the, mm-hmm. your question was, do I see a money-making opportunity? And the answer is Yes. But
0: I want to get my skill to the level that it will be saleable. Plus, it sounds like even if it never is, you're fine with it.
1: I am totally fine with it.
0: Yeah. 100% no, totally fine with it. That's great. It's, it's great to have stuff like that that you enjoy doing so much that it doesn't really matter whether or not you ever make any money with it. Yeah. Very it's cool. It's a passion. It is a passion. Yeah. yeah. I
1: ask people, um, I ask people. If I'm, if I'm organized, you, you mentioned something at the top about, you know, organizing a group of people and all this, if I'm trying to organize a group of people and I'm trying to get everybody acclimated and the people that know me know that I do this, I will, we do the introductions. You've been in meetings so go around the room. Okay. You know, Bob mm-hmm. and Jim and Sally, you know, go around the room, everybody introduce themselves and what their, you know, title is and who they represent and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I do all that. But I also, at the end, I ask everybody what their passion is. Mm. I always do it when I go around for a new group of people. And the reason why I do that is because it gets people opened up and warmed up. And I've also found that people in in groups, when you do that, people find that they have something in common with somebody else. And it's a jumping off point for a conversation, a Mm -hmm. friendship, a working relationship beyond just, so what do you do? Uh, yeah. Where'd you go to school again? You know, yeah, we don't need people to meet each other and start spouting their resume, but it's like my passion is gardening. (gasps) Oh my gosh! I've got these bogan vias that I'm trying to grow. Can you help me? You know what I mean? And so, and so I do that. So, but here's what I tell them: I said, here's how I want you to define your passion. When you get up in the morning, when you wake up your wake up, open your eyes. What's the very first thing you cannot wait to get to? I can't. Jesus! I can't wait to get to fill in the blank. And that's your passion. I can't wait to put my gloves and my hat on and go work in the yard. I can't wait to go outside and practice my baseball swing or whatever. I can't Mm -hmm. wait to get in my Corvette. I I just want to. I get out there at four a.m. and start it up. I just can't wait to sit in the seat, (laughs) you know. And so, you know, what is your passion, right? And me, when I get up in the morning, the very first thing I think about after all of my normal preliminary waking up stuff is, I can't wait to sit down and work on these letters. I'm going to perfect this cool. come hell or high water. I'm going to get this. I can't wait to get it because I just, I love it. So if I don't make a dime doing it, I'm cool with that. It's fine. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: That's very cool. Yeah. Well, Leon, this has been great. What, what, uh, what words of wisdom would you have for aspiring narrators out there? There are a few that listen to this podcast, not too many, but, uh, there's a few people out there. So for aspiring narrators, what would you recommend? Mm.
1: Aspiring narrators. Be kind. Be kind. Be kind to everyone, yes, but be kind to yourself. Aspiring narr- narrators, yeah. Be kind to yourself. When I was an aspiring narrator, I cons- you know, I told you I'm a knowledge nerd, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was consuming everything. I watched every YouTube video and listened to everybody's everything, and you know, I, I did all that kind of stuff. I read every social, and I still read, you know, all the socials and all that kind of stuff. But you can get caught up in what people are saying versus what they're doing. And, you know, you can kind of, even in my calligraphy, right. I look at people's, you know, their, their Instagram and I watch them as they write. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, your letters are so beautiful. I'm never going to write like that today. I was (laughs) practicing the capital O and I wrote two complete eight and a half by 11 pages of O's front and back. (laughs) And on two pages of O's, I had three perfect O's three. And I wrote three, I mean, two pages front and back. I had three perfect O's. But if I look on social media, everybody out there is like, look at my perfect letters. Look at my look at my beautiful, you know, come on, man. (laughs) So my advice is be kind, not just to everybody else, because that's a given. You better be kind if you want to work. But be kind to yourself. You know, you're not as good today as you're going to be tomorrow. And you're better today than you were yesterday. And the people that you see that are so wonderful and great and they've done, you know, 6,000, you know, projects and, you know, they're at the top of their game. They started right where you are. And every day they got better. And every day you're going to get better. And if you just kind to yourself every time and every day you're going to get better, and that's a commitment that every day you're going to be better than yesterday and you're going to make your deadlines and you're going to be kind to people, you know, stay in the game long enough to get the next project. And it gives you another opportunity to get better and then stay in the game long enough to get the next project and the next project. And eventually you'll get better and better and better and better, but you won't get anywhere if you're not kind, not kind to other people and you're not kind to yourself. So just no matter what you choose to do, no matter who you choose to talk to, no matter what mentor you get, which I recommend, no matter what training you get, which I recommend, no matter how you practice, which I highly recommend practice on your own, no stakes, just read and just experiment with different things. Mm-hmm. No matter what you do, be kind. That will take you far because people want to work with people they like. If you're the best of, you know, top professional in whatever field, if you're the best of the best of the best of the best. If you're a jerk, you know what? Someone's going to work with somebody they like because they want a good experience. They don't want to work with a the jerk. They want the project, but you know what? Some people say it ain't worth it just be kind. My advice?
0: Be kind. Fantastic advice. I love it. Leon, where can people find you if they want to look you up online? Oh my god. Um leonnixon.com is where all my demos and stuff are. It's my website,
1: but you know and that you know what that's a good place to start. leonnixon.com and then the link is in that uh on my page for all of my socials and just, you know, Facebook, uh
0: IG, LinkedIn, yeah. It's all, all the website is a one-stop shop for that kind of stuff. That's the coolest way. I will I will definitely include that. Leon, thank you so much for coming in. This this has been fantastic. I hope the uh the uncle nearest was uh nearest. Is that right? It yes. is nearest, nearest yeah. yeah. Hope the uncle nearest was was good. Thank you for the reminder on that. I am definitely gonna put that on my list. In fact, while we're talking right now, I'm gonna put it on my list. So that I, I, love I don't that. forget. Um, the pink lady is gone. I, I will say that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy with that one. I, I'm probably not going to make it that often just because of the egg white, but, um, oh my God. just because it's a little bit more, there we go. Uncle nearest. All right. That's on my list. Um, I love that. Just because uh, it's a little bit more of a hassle than anything else, and I don't always have eggs in the house usually, but yeah. but with the uh, homemade grenadine at this point, so now I just have to get some OJ so that I can make a uh, tequila sunrise. But uh, but I'll, I'll find some other stuff to use it in as well. Anyway, uh, big pink lady is a big hit. So uh, I so
1: that, like that, so that and you make good. your own, you make your own grenadine, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, you know, I went with the easiest recipe I could find. A lot of different recipes online, and um, a lot of them call for pomegranate molasses and I thought I'm going to have even more trouble finding this than the orange blossom water that you're also supposed to use. Oh my god. But I heard that if you, you know, just use sugar instead. It's basically simple syrup but with yeah. pomegranate juice instead of water. And if you don't have any orange blossom water, you can just throw some lemon or orange peels in as you're making it and so that's what I did and it came out really good. Um, I have never had true grenadine as far as I know. So I was, I was happy to give it a try.
1: Wow. Congratulations.
0: Yeah. Thanks. Good stuff. So, all right. Well, Leon, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Leon Nixon for stopping in. I loved hearing about his experiences in law enforcement and then in improv and audiobook narration, and I hope you did too. As always, you can find the Audiobook Speakeasy on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all the usual apps. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated and where I'm also posting episodes of the Audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy Chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Special thanks this week to Rob Ryder for another donation via PayPal and to Gina Maneggio for also making a PayPal donation. The financial support is greatly appreciated as it helps me keep the lights on here in the Speakeasy. Until we see you here in the Speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! <laughs> ¶¶